Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. They did the Yankee offseason preview this week. I got a great guest for the Met offseason preview this week. I was speaking to the Athletics' Tim Britton, who covers the Mets for them. We all had a good conversation about some of the interesting issues the Mets have this offseason. It's a big offseason for them. They won 86 games a year ago. They were very close to being in that playoff hunt. Some things went wrong. They have some key free agents. They have some issues they need to address. I'll break it all down with Tim in just a bit. Show me the money. NFL picks back for week number 12. I got back on the winning side last week. I went 2-1. and one. I look to keep the momentum going forward as I bring in Jaguars fan Sam DeRosa to do the picks in week 12. Sam, our pop culture correspondent, is also sticking around for the end of the show to do a review of the new Disney streaming service, Disney+. Plus. We both checked it out over the last week. Got some thoughts on it, and we will discuss that at the end of the show. But we'll get our rolling with this week's opening tip where I look at the latest crisis in Nickland and how the anger is being directed at the wrong place. That is coming up right after this. Difference of 10 seconds, being caught in shot clock. Like Morris wants to go one-on-one versus Kleba. Morris, three. All right, we are back with this week's opening tip. That call you just heard courtesy of TNT's Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller. Marcus Morris drilling a gate go-ahead three for the Knicks on Thursday night to beat the Dallas Mavericks in the Garden. And that one was probably a NBA Final-type win for the Knicks, who get their beloved sweep over former unicorn Christos Porzingis. Those are two of the Knicks' three wins this season. Right now, entering recording on Monday, they are 3-10, and and they have losses on their records to the Charlotte Hornets, who are in the midst of a massive rebuild after Kemba Walker left town, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are still wallowing around the post-LeBron era, and the Chicago Bulls. Now, this has already set off a crisis in Nickland. Last week, after the Cavs' loss on Sunday, uh, Jim Dolan was so furious that he sent uh, President Steve Mills and GM Scott Perry out to meet the media basically said, this is unacceptable. We should be playing better than we are, and there will be consequences if things don't turn around. Basically, that was the tone of that whole conversation. Obviously, this just throws David Fisdale, the head coach, right on the hot seat. Now, is David Fisdale a great head coach? No. His rotations are a bit strange. There seems to be a lack of flow with the in-game decisions, and I know they made a big deal about how Fisdale would connect to modern players and be a tool to attract free agents, which is a load of garbage. Simply put, no head coach brings players in here. No head coach brings players anywhere in the NBA. It's about the money and about the culture. The Knicks had no shortage of money. They had plenty of cat space, as we saw after the trade for Port- they dealt Porzingis last year to the Mavericks, where they basically gave up their Number four pick from 2015, who was emerging as a superstar, coming off an injury for Dennis Smith Jr., an expiring contract streak, cast based on a couple of draft picks. This is a problem because, obviously, Fisdale, not a great coach. No one's going to argue this at this point. But is he the problem with this franchise? No. The problem with this franchise is his culture, and to that, I point to... One particular man in that front office who I think, outside Dolan, has been the biggest constant in the losing. Steve Mills. Mills was on the business side of the garden for a long time. Left in 2009 to work for Magic Johnson's uh, startup company. Came back in 2013 on the basketball side. Since he's come back, the Knicks are 166 and 339. Let that sink in for a moment. The Knicks are 166 and 339 in the Steve Mills era. They have not made the playoffs once. That's really hard to do in a sport where over half the teams make the playoffs every single year. And the thing about Steve Mills, he is the ultimate New York cockroach. He's completely inept at his job, yet he's still employed by James Dolan because he's an expert at finding a scapegoat. They have a revolving door head coach since those came back. They've had five since 2013, four permanent, and the 
interim tenure of Kurt Rambis after Derek Fisher got fired. That culture becomes so toxic. Nobody wants to come play for this team. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, despite all the rumors last year about how they were agreeing to meet in New York or go play for the Knicks, they did not take a meeting with this team. And then what does Steve Mills do? He comes out and says, I had no intention of talking to these guys. I didn't want to meet with them. I'm going to sign the guys I want. And we had a successful offseason. And what does he do with all that cat space he acquired from Christos Porzingis? He turned it into Julius Randle, Bobby Portis, Marcus Morris, Elfrey Payton, a bunch of just veterans on short-term deals who did not fit together on the roster correctly. This is not a situation where he's using his cap space to absorb a bad contract and get assets back like the Nets have done in the past, like the Memphis Grizzlies did this offseason with Andre Iguodala getting a pick out of it. This was just, I'm going to tie my money up as long for as short as I need to, and then magically, we're going to be attracted to free agents in two years. That's not how this works. Steve Mills decided that his best use of money was to sign a bunch of power forwards who don't fit together and making Fizdale's job impossible is to basically manage the egos of a bunch of NBA veterans who know that they're on short-term deals and need to set up well for themselves to get the next payday while also trying to develop the young core of R.J. Barrett, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle. You name, like not Julius Randle. He's not really part of that young core. That group, basically. And this all goes back to Porzingis, who has become the scapegoat for Nick fans. Nick fans were mercilessly booing KP when he came back to the Garden on Thursday night. You had a chance of KP sucks, go back to Latvia, whatever you want to say, that was happening. And this is just a great spin job by Steve Mills. Somehow, the Knicks have managed to convince their fans that Christos Porzingis is the bad guy and that Oh, he didn't want to be here. Boo him. He sucks. He had no interest in being a part of New York. That is complete garbage. Christos Porzingis, at one point, was recruiting Kevin Durant to come play with him in New York. There were billboards going up last November saying KP and Durant are the future of New York basketball. Some point between the billboards going up and February, right before the Super Bowl, Things got so sour with the Knicks and Porzingis that he asked for a trade. And the Knicks immediately caved in and dumped him to the Mavericks. No attempt to repair the relationship. No attempt to figure out what went wrong. Just dump him, move on with our day, and he's the bad guy. Again, like Dave Fisdale's become a scapegoat, Christos Porzingis escaped off the Knicks. The organization has somehow managed to spin it that KP's the traitor. But this is a guy who was 24 years old, who loved this city, who wanted to be here so badly that he was trying to recruit others to come join him, they managed to sour him so much that he wanted out in the span of a couple of months. That's a horrendously run organization. And you think the players around the league don't notice this? You think that guys like Durant and Irving are not sitting there talking to each other and saying, you know what, look what they're doing to KP New York. Look how dirty they did him. Why don't we go play for that team? Why? Why would you think that this is a good place for teams to come play? They're losing. They have a toxic culture. You don't get support from the front office. And this is not a fix that getting rid of the head coach does anything about. I don't blame Scott Perry because Scott Perry seems to have good ideas and a good hand on his shoulder. I think the root of this problem right now is Steve Mills. Steve Mills needs to go right out the door behind David Fisdale. And don't believe me? I got another good stat for you. Courtesy of NBC Sports is Bruce Beck. And he's noted, since the start of the 2018 season, the New York Knicks have 20 wins. The same amount of wins as the New England Patriots. The Patriots, over this stretch of the of time, over this period of basketball in the course of the 2018 season, they are 20-6, and six, the Patriots. The Knicks are 20-75. and 75. That's a massive problem. And that shows you that this organization does not get it. If you want to rebuild the culture here, get rid of Steve Mills tomorrow. The scapegoating needs to stop. The culture needs to be improved. 
Let these young players build something interesting. R.J. Barrett's shown he's got potential. Kevin Knox can get potential, but he needs an opportunity to play more. Frank Nilakina can be a valuable role player in this league. Because you get something out of Dan Smith Jr., but building a roster filled with 15 power forwards who all need the same playing time is not helping anything. This team has no spacing. This team cannot shoot from the outside. This is a very ill-fitting roster, and it's doing little to help the development of guys like R.J. Barrett and Kevin Knox. It's creating a bad culture. It's creating losing. And who's this go back to? Steve Mills. Once, As long as he's still employed by this franchise, nothing's going to change. And that is what I have on the Knicks right now. I would not be shocked if Fisdale is gone by the end of the year. By the end of the, the 2019 calendar year, I mean. If he makes New Year's Day, I'm stunned. But... Let's move on. We'll go to the Mets. We'll talk with Tim Brayton just a moment. But first, I want to relive one of my favorite moments of the year. The Michael Conforto walk-off hit against the Washington Nationals back in early August, courtesy of WCBS's Howie Rose. Swing and a drive to right. Eaton going back. Eaton still going. It's over his head. The Mets are going to win. Here comes Lagaris around third. He scores standing. Put it in the box. The New York Mets with one of their most memorable come-from-behind wins in years. All right, I am back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast, and I'm very excited to do the Mets offseason preview today with someone who covers the team on a regular basis. He covers them for The Athletic. My guest today is Tim Britton. Tim, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Thank you for coming on, and it's a fun time to be a Mets fan. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. The biggest news of them so far this offseason has been the Carlos Beltran hire. Like, how did you view the hire when it was made? Do you think it could work out for the Mets? Yeah, you know, I thought it was interesting when kind of uh, their managerial search started in early October. The two names that, that stood out to me were Joe Girardi, which I think a lot of people thought about as a guy with experience in the New York market and, and someone who's won a World Series. And then Beltran was the guy who stood out among the play, among the candidates who didn't have experience because he he was playing just two years ago, uh, and kind of, it's kind of been a an interesting name for the Yankees opening a couple of years ago uh, as a guy who who was widely respected uh, as a player uh, and and you know kind of an up and coming managerial candidate. Uh, so I, I think that's what they're looking at in Beltran. You know, but. The candidates they interviewed were largely without experience. They didn't kind of uh, value that the way I think some people expected going into the, the process. Uh, but what they like about Carlos uh, is that they think he brings a credibility and an authority in the clubhouse right away and can connect with all 25 guys in there in a way that some, some people can't. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that lack of experience plays out. I think it's important how they compliment him on the coaching staff, but it'll certainly be an an interesting dynamic for him in his first season as, as a, a manager or coach at any level uh, next season. Yeah, for sure. It's his first year on the job. It's Brody Van Wagen's second year on the job as the GM, and you were covering the team at the GM meetings last week. Brody said a lot of things, so what was your big takeaway from what he had to say last week? Yeah, I mean, he, he, he said a lot of things. He didn't, he didn't reveal a whole lot. Uh, and, you know, from what they've said so far this offseason, it doesn't sound like they're going to be making – the kind of big aggressive splashes in the offseason that they made last year in Van Wagen's first go round. You know, that was the year of the, the Cano Diaz trade was the big move that they made last season. I'm not sure how much they're willing to spend this offseason. Their payroll's already up around where it was at the end of last season. So uh, I'm not sure, you know, they're, they're kind of up against the competitive balance tax threshold. They've only got about $15 million or so underneath that which makes it difficult unless they want to go over it, which I think you can make a very strong argument that they should go over it where they are competitively. Uh, unless they want to go over that, it's going to be tough for them to find the kind of big-time talent that to, to complement what they've got going on with a pretty nice core that developed over the last year and a half. Uh, so, you know, the, right now it's just trying to figure out how they can be, how they can improve as a roster creatively. You know, the, the J.D. Davis trade they made last year seems like it could be a model for them going forward. Let's find someone who's got some, some win-now talent uh, that doesn't cost a whole lot to pay uh, and, and doesn't take big to land, maybe take some smaller guys uh, the way it did for Davis last year. 
Yeah, that makes some sense. I'm also curious, I know Brody said after the Carlos Beltran hire, he's going to be creative how he builds his roster. And one way I think he was creative last year is that he turned money that he didn't want, which was the Jay Bruce and Anthony Swore that money into guys he thought could help him. Do you think he could pursue a similar strategy where they try and flip some of these contracts in their roster for guys that might fit better with what they have? Maybe. I mean, it's tough to find guys that fit the roster. You know, it's tough to find uh, places to send a, uh, a Robinson Cano or a Jerry Somelia. Uh, and that brings back anything really of value. That isn't just a straight salary dump. So it's, I, I think, you know, he, he's been creative in the past. He got he got rid of Bruce and Swords that in that deal, bringing on Cano. Uh, but I don't know that there's a team out there that makes sense for them to, to do that again, uh, and that that really makes them any better. Yeah, the one I was curious about, because I know in the past they've been linked to guys, Monty Grandal, and I know he would be a good fit for them upgrading the defense at that catch position. Do you think they could make a run at him and maybe trade Wilson Ramos or a relief arm or something like that? Yeah, I mean, Grandal is a guy who they, they got pretty far down the line with last offseason. Uh, he turned down, I think, a, a four-year offer from them uh, and took the one-year deal with a larger ta- uh, single-year salary with Milwaukee. A uh, gamble that paid off for him, given the season that he had. He was probably the best catcher in baseball last season. So he's on the market again. Doesn't have the qualifying offer attached to him. Uh, so they, they could re- maybe go back to that, see if, that, if they can figure out something long-term with him again. Uh, but then if you're trying to move Ramos, I'm not sure. Again, that's, that's a difficult thing to do with a guy like Ramos. I'm not sure there's a huge market that wants to pay him the $9.5 million that he's owed in 2020. You probably have to pay down part of that salary. Uh, in which case, you're kind of factoring that into how much you pay Grandal, whether that makes sense. So, you know, so far, Van Wagner has said we like what Wilson did last year. We're, we're, we're good with him as our starting catcher, uh, and we're kind of focusing on, on a potential backup with more of a defensive background. At the same time, this time last year, he was saying, we feel good about Travis Darno, we feel good about Kevin Ploiecki. We don't feel like we need to upgrade a catcher. They did. So, take, take that as you will at this point in the offseason. Yeah, it certainly will. The biggest name for them, obviously, right now is Zach Wheeler, who rejected the qualifying offers out in free agency. So I know they said they're open to bringing him back on a multi-year deal. I don't think it's likely to happen. Do you have any insight into what you think they're going to do with Zach Wheeler? It's hard to see it happening just because uh, the the market for Wheeler, from what I've heard so far, is, is more robust than you would have expected going in. You know, I was looking at him as maybe a guy who gets a – a four-year, $64 million deal, five for 80, something like that. It sounds like it might be closer to four for 80, uh, kind of a, a four- or five-year deal that's close to $20 million per year. And the Mets have had the chance to, to negotiate with Wheeler over the last season and a half, two years, without an extension and haven't gotten that far down the line. Uh, so with, they opted not to trade him in July with the thought that they could extend the qualifying offer and see if something comes to fruition uh, in the offseason. But I think the market for him, he, he's kind of clearly played, he's placed himself pretty clearly third in the, the free agent pecking order among starting pitchers behind Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg, the guy who's only 29, who's got some, who's got a pretty solid floor of performance the last couple of years. And a lot of teams think he still can get better. But you compare that to like Madison Bumgarner, who is only a year older, but it seems like he's already on the downturn of his career. That makes Wheeler a really appealing option for a lot of teams in free agency. I think might price him out of what the Mets are willing to spend, especially considering what they've done with the rest of their rotation, bringing in Marcus Stroman in July. Yeah, that makes some sense. And obviously, they're not going to want to pay him that much money, but it's hard to see them saying we're going to contend next year and go into the season with either Walker Lockett or Corey Oswalt in the rotation. So what do you think they're going to try and do to fill that hole? Yeah, I think that that's the one need that they've got to do something about, you know. And you talk about the bullpen all you want. And they've they got to throw some arms at the bullpen, for sure. But in terms of the rotation, like you said, you can't go into the season and say, we feel really good, we think we can win 90 games, and then have someone completely inexperienced in that fifth spot. Uh, you know, Lockett didn't pitch very well last year. Oswald didn't get many opportunities to last year, even though he showed a little bit of promise in 2018. So they've talked about Robert Gazelman and Seth Lugo as options there. Obviously, doing either one of those, especially with Lugo, weakens your bullpen even more. So, I think you've got some options in free agency. It's pretty deep free agent market for starting pitchers. You've got guys with some upside, uh, whether it's a Michael Pineda type, even though he's going to miss part of the early season because of his lingering suspension. Or you've got more 
the innings eater type guy, the, the Rick Porcello, the Tanner Roarts, the Kyle Gibsons, guys who could help you out. Just by, you know, you could fill that fifth spot the way they, the Mets have filled it traditionally in the past, guys like Portolo Colon and Jason Vargas in free agency, because you can, can rely on to take the ball every fifth day, give you five innings, keep you in the game. Yeah, so I mean, those are options for them. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's certainly going to be a, a, a step down from where they were the last two months of the season when they had those five guys with Wheeler there uh, in the rotation. Yeah, that's true. You also brought the bullpen up, which I know every Met fan is screaming <laughs> that, that they want to get like big arms in the bullpen. But given the way it's constructed, it doesn't appear realistic. But what do you think they're going to try and do to add to that? You need to try and bolster it. You know, bullpens are so hard to build. Because every every good offseason plan, you know, you go into last offseason and you had said the Mets are going to get Edwin Diaz, who was the best reliever in baseball in 2018. They're going to bring back Jerry Familia, who, you know, wasn't the best reliever in baseball, was a very good reliever for several years leading up to last season. Uh, and Justin Wilson, who had had several nice years uh, in the past, who felt really good about what they had going on in the back end. Uh, and obviously Diaz and Familia were disasters for them. So it just speaks to how difficult it is to build a bullpen. Uh, to just look at the last last couple of years and say these are the guys that work. So I think the best approach is probably just throwing a lot of arms at the problem. I don't know if the Mets are in position to do that. You know, I think Van Wagenen said they're going to heavily on Diaz and Familia just being better than they were last year. You know, Diaz's peripherals were were much better than his primary results. So I think you can expect him to be closer to where he was in 2018, certainly than where he was last year. I don't think you're going to next year thinking this is a guy who's going to have a 5 ERA again. So Amelia's peripherals weren't as promising, so I think it's a little harder to trust that he'll be back to where he was previously. But then you look on the trade market, there are guys like Michael Gibbons who can make some sense from Baltimore. The free agent market has, you know, the Steve Ciszek, the Joe Smith, the Will Harris's of the world, Pedro Strope from Chicago. There's, there's options there. Uh, it depends really on how much they're willing to spend. You know, Drew Pomerantz is an interesting name, given what he did the last couple months of the year in Milwaukee. We've already seen Will Smith come off the board is probably the biggest name reliever with Atlanta. So there's there's a lot of different possibilities there. Uh, and, you know, that's the one area of the team that Van Wagner has said, yes, we need to add there, and, and we'll see them do that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. He also mentioned an area he wants to upgrade his center field, particularly defensively. I know it's really hard to find like big-time center fielders who can do both things. So do you think that they're going to try and trade for center field, or there's anybody out in free they that could fill that hole for them? Yeah, you're right in that it, it's a great idea to upgrade and get a two-way center fielder. It's really hard to figure out who that guy is. Uh, you look on free agency, the best guy out there is probably Cameron Maven uh, from the Yankees. And he's not really an everyday center fielder type or hasn't been in some time. On the trade market, the dream scenario is Mookie Betts. Uh, but I don't really see that happening for the Mets. I don't, I'm still kind of skeptical that the Red Sox would move Betts one year away from free agency. Uh, Starling Marte is a more palatable option, a guy that, that, probably, that doesn't cost as much as your money. He's only making $11 million next year uh, and won't cost quite as much. But to me... I wonder, you know, how much better is your team if your outfield is Nimmo, Marte, Conforto, and you've traded some prospects for Marte versus what if your outfield is, you know, Jeff McNeil or J.D. Davis, Nimmo, and Conforto. I'm not sure that's the way to spend your, your, your prospects and your money to upgrade the team. Uh, so I, I think maybe aspiring to something a little bit lower in center field, you know, finding a guy who's a reasonable defensive backup, Maybe a guy who has some prospect pedigree but hasn't worked out in the major leagues yet, kind of the Albert Almora type, Michael Taylor from Washington, uh, th- that type of player maybe fits what you're looking to do. And, you know, you maybe get you maybe steal a center fielder for the future without worrying that he's the guy right now. Yeah, that makes some sense. The other thing I've been intrigued about with their position players is, like, there are two guys right now who don't have clear fits in the everyday lineup in J.D. Davis and Don Smith who could be valuable to them because they're contributors to the big league level who don't make a lot of money. But at the same time, they're valuable to other teams because they could be trade chips to improve other areas of the roster. you think the Mets would shop either of those guys and see what they can get in return? I mean, I think they'll explore the trade market for those guys. It was interesting when we asked Van Wagenen about what, how he felt about the farm system, whether he thought he had the chips to make any big trades that he wanted to. He did bring up, you know, we've got the farm system. We've got some pretty good prospects there. We've also got those 
zero to three years of service time players in the major league. Those pre-arbitration players like Davis, like Smith, who could be used as trade chips. You're right. They don't fit the roster perfectly. Uh, Davis doesn't really have a defensive home. This defensive home is at first base where you've got Pete Alonso for years now. So, you know, you can try to play them out of position in left field, try, try Davis a little bit at third base if you want. Mets didn't really like that after April last year. Uh, or you can see whether you can find similar talent at a, at a greater need, whether that's the bullpen, the starting rotation, center field. Uh, my, my thing is it's difficult to find a team that, you know, if you can't find a defensive fit for J.D. Davis, what makes you think another team will find a defensive home for him? Uh, it, you know, there's not a lot of teams looking for a first baseman like Smith that's willing to, to hand that, that job over to him right away. So at, at right now, I think there's probably more value in holding on to them as really helpful bench pieces that you don't have to pay anything to. Uh, but if there is a if there is a team that values them as, as an everyday guy, like we want this guy to, to start 150 games for us, then then by all means, try to find a fit that works that makes your same stuff. Yeah, that does make sense. The Based on my conversation with you and stuff I've been reading online, a lot of the sense I get with the Mets, they sort of feel like, hey, we won 86 games last year. We had a lot of things go wrong. We're not going to do it time. We'll be able to get the four or five extra games to make the playoffs. So, like, that's something to me I'd, I'd be concerned about because it's hard to project Pete Alonso to have 50 home runs again or for DeGrom to have a third straight brilliant year. Do you think that's a big risk for them to say, oh, we're going to be better. We have to just tweak around the edges? You know, it's, it's always easy to look at a season and say, man, if only these other things went right for us. If only Diaz and Familia were what we expected. If Brandon Nimmo were healthy all year, man, this team could have won not just four more games. This team could have won eight, ten more games. But that, you know, you also don't think about all the things that went right for you, especially the fact the starting rotation was incredibly healthy. They got 154 starts out of their top five guys. Uh, only eight starts made by, by guys outside that top five for a team that lacked pitching depth. So that weakness wasn't really exposed over the course of the year. You got a 53 home run season with Pete Alonso that, that it, you know, is always going to be difficult to replicate. You got really nice years from Jeff McNeil, from Michael in Florida. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say that J.D. Davis and Donald Smith will be quite as good as they were last year. So there's a lot of room for, for guys to kind of fall back a little bit. Uh, and we've certainly seen in the past with the Mets, you just pencil guys in to have the same kind of year. You saw it with Nimmo from 18 to 19. You know, Nimmo in 18 was one of the better players in the National League. And in 19, he was kind of a non-factor because of the injury. He didn't perform the first month and a half of the season. Looked good the last part of the year. But, you know, what can you really expect from him next year? It's hard to project that. So I think there, it, it can be tempting to say, just run it back with these guys. We feel good. We can win 90. But there, there are opportunities to improve that I think they should explore. All right, that's my last question for you. Is like, if you were in charge of the offseason like, and you wanted to improve this team, what would your ideal blueprint be to get this team from 86 wins to a 93-94 win playoff team? Ooh, that is so, uh, you know, this is something I'm trying to work on the right in the next couple of days. <laughs> um, and I think the first thing you look at, I mean, I'd march into the, the ownership's office and explain why it's necessary to go over the luxury tax. Because this is, you're in a position where you're right there on the fringe of playoff contention. There's a lot of money that's coming off the payroll after 2020 with Joanna Suspides, with David Wright, who's still on the luxury tax payroll, with Wilson Ramos and Marcus Stroman and Justin Wilson. There's opportunities to, to make a signing this year that might put you over the luxury tax for one year, but you get back under next year and beyond. So I would, I would be aggressive that way, and then I would look to, to really make a big splash in terms of the starting pitching market, whether it's you know, Cole's probably out of the equation, but bringing back Zach Wheeler would make some sense. And then just try to add a bunch, you know, like I said earlier, get as many bullpen arms as possible so that you can see what happens there, see who emerges, uh, and then probably make a trade for one of those, like, lower-level center fielders. I like Almora in particular as a guy who was a, a top-10 draft pick. Hasn't hit at the major league level, but is still a very good defender. Makes sense as... Kind of, he can be your your backup center fielder, and you hope something something clicks with him, and he takes off uh, and goes from there. So uh, that that's probably what I would look to do. But uh, it sort of seems like the Mets are willing to make that kind of financial investment this off season. 
All right, Tim. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do you want everybody to know how to follow you on social media and how to read some of the stuff you write for The Athletic, including that, that column you're working on right now about what the Met offseason should be like? Yeah, so on Twitter, it's just at Tim Britton, B-R-I-T-T-O-N. Uh, and then it's theathletics.com the slash New York has all of our all of our New York writers, um, myself on the Mets, Wig Dandler on the Yankees, Mark Rigg. You know, we've got Ken Rosenthal. So uh, that's the spot to find all of your the best baseball coverage uh, for, for not just the Mets, but around MLB. I, I agree. It's the best coverage around MLB. Tim, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. Thank you. All right, and there you have it. That's Tim Britton from The Athletic talking about what the Mets should be doing this offseason. A lot of interesting stuff there from Tim. So up next, show me the money. NFL picks for week number 12 with Jaguar fan Sam DeRosa right after this. Show me the money. All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Time to do some NFL picks for week number 12. Joining me today on, to do the picks in the studio is my favorite Jaguars fan, Sam DeRosa. Sam, welcome back. How are you? Thanks for having me, but is I'm your only Jaguars fan. <laughs> so they're one and the same. Only in favor can be not mutually exclusive. All right, all right. <laughs> it's funny because this is your first time doing the pick. The podcast was doing NFL picks, and now you're back full circle. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah. been it's been a whirlwind. It has been a whirlwind, and it's been a long time since we've had you on. Last time we talked to you was back in April during the Avengers podcast. So mm-hmm. at the time, you were not sure when you were going to see the movie. You did see it. I did. Yeah. Not in theaters. I had to wait till it came out on uh, DVDs yeah. or streaming because I'm dating myself now yeah. saying DVD. Yeah, but we'll get to that in the Disney Plus X. We'll talk about definitely, that a little definitely. bit. But let's talk about your Jaguars today. So okay. I mean, they made a quarterback change off their bye week. Nick yep. Foles comes back in. Mm-hmm. They lose to the Colts. Yep. So what did you think about Nick Foles in his first game back from that injury? I mean, honestly, I didn't have the full confidence that he's going to do great. No one comes back from their first game being like on their game. He also suffered that clavicle injury, which is using you use your arm to yeah. throw. So it was rough. I mean, I thought he had a pretty good first quarter. I mean, he, like, looked pretty good, you know, coming back. All my negatives were hushed down, but then the third quarter happened and everything. So, listen, I have a bunch of notes on this. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you want to, if you have a dissertation on Nick Foles, I'm happy to listen to it. <laughs> it's more like a, uh, like a dissertation on how he played this entire game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was not pretty good in this game. They did – I mean, he has his numbers didn't look bad, but it didn't, it didn't look great. They didn't move the offense very well. They lost this game. So, I mean, like – it's tough pill because they're right in that race for a playoffs box. The AFC kind of sucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big and, time. <laughs> so, like, do you think that he can be the guy who can get them there? I hope he is because, you know, like you read, um, I don't know if you read the articles about how uh, the Eagles didn't play well against the Patriots and they're like, they couldn't meet Foles' standards. But then, like, he the throws that he was, like, good for in that game, like, he wasn't throwing good, like, you know, deep under throws or anything. So, it's just it's rough, but he's also coming back, and he, I don't think he's you know it's not I don't think it's a this year, but honestly, like right in the fourth quarter, right when he threw the interception, and for the touchdown, and I just was like that's a nail in the coffin for this season. Like it, like honestly, like as much as I want to think they're gonna do well, you know, they did beat the Jets though. There was that. I love- <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know, and they beat they beat a few, but that's with Mr. Minshew. So. Yeah. Yes, that is a Mr. Minshew, and I know you were big into the Minshew mania. And, yes. And I'm assuming you believe he can be the quarterback of the future for this team. I really think so. The team has to do a lot to keep him. Yeah. He's going to go. Like, you know, he's he has the personality and everything. So if they don't entice him, I mean, like, honestly, he, like, you know, it's hard because Foles had one and a half games. I know it's two games, but he really only played one and a half. Like, Gardner Minshew went for 2,285 yards yeah. in five games. Like, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah, he was really good. I mean, I watched the what game they played against the Jets earlier this year. That's the first time I've ever seen him. I'll make, I did not watch the primetime game they played, I think, way back then. But he was making throws. He was running. He was yeah, doing he everything. Moves. He does a lot. Like, you know, Nick Foles goes side to side, back yeah. and forth. You know, like like you're yeah. playing a, like a game on, like, you know, a video game. But, like, Minshew is like, I'm going for it. I don't know if that's just because he's a rookie and he hasn't, like, gotten, like, hurt, hurt yet. You yeah. know? He's got the guts. Yes. I love I love watching that. The mustache is great as always. I think it's gonna make him a cult <laughs> hero down there. Yes, I think so too. It's perfect Florida attitude. Yeah, perfect Florida attitude. 
And he is going to be on the bench this week, though, when they go to Tennessee, take on the Titans. And that's a weird football team they're playing. Do you think they got a shot in this game? I want to say yes, because that's their biggest rival. Um, they usually come out and play a little bit better against them. You know, Minshew uh, got them the win last time they played, but that was in Jacksonville. But then Tennessee has the home field advantage. But um, I'm not too sure who uh, Tennessee is going to be starting because um, I'm pretty sure it's like Tannenhill. Yeah, I think it's still, they're still playing on sticking with Tannenhill because he's got the offense back on track. Yeah, I mean, hey, this guy's like, and it's funny because they have very similar parallels. Yeah. Like the backup mm-hmm. did really well compared to the starter. It's like very interesting their similarities with the team. Yeah, I'm thinking that the Jaguars are, I'm going to say, I'm going to be confident. Jaguars are going to win, but they're not going to win by much. Okay, so that's an interesting prediction right there. We'll put that aside. Let's get to the picks last week. Last week, I actually had our good friend Rocky DePaolo here doing the picks. Oh, he came, good old Rocky. <laughs> yeah, yep. Savage Rock came in the studio, did some picks. He went one and two last week. He did pick the Jets last week, plus a point and a half in the, against the Redskins. They won that game running away, so he got good there. He had the Eagles getting three and a half against the Patriots. They lost that game because Nelson Aguilar can't catch football. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And he had the Chicago Bears last night getting six and a half points against the L.A. Rams. And Mitchell Trubisky did not help his cause too much. <laughs> Not a good week for Rock. Eh, you know, he'll live, he'll live. He got one right, though, so he is on the board. I mean, I don't think I'm going to do much better, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I had a better week. I went 2-1. and one. I had the Cowboys laying 3.5 in Detroit. They won that game. I know it was closer than it should have been, but they still won. I had the Cardinals getting 11.5 points in San Francisco because the 49ers. They mm-hmm. lost by 10, so I had the number covered. Okay. I lost with the Steelers plus 3 on last Thursday. The Browns crushed them. I was not expecting that like, at all. literally crushed Crush them. Yes, literally. Like literally. Like, what'd you think about that Miles Garrett thing, by the Holy way? Holy moly. I was just like, I was more surprised. Yeah. I mean, he went to go take off his helmet, and yeah. then he, you know, I was like, I could see why. But, like, you know, helmets are heavy, and yeah. brains are very sensitive. So that was. That was insane. Yeah, it was insane. I'm very happy they put him out for the rest of the year because that's a very dangerous thing. I, I yeah, mean, I just honest, I honestly don't think I'm, – I'm not him. I wasn't there. I honestly think he didn't realize how significant that was to his, his actions were. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because you hear all the stuff about all the field, how, oh, he's such a great guy. He does poetry. But then they like, go on the field. Like, just he does really, really dumb things on the field. Like, he still happens. They played the Jets in week two. He, like, broke Trevor Simeon's ankle. Mm. <laughs> it's, like, not a good run here for Miles Garrett. Yeah. All right, let's get so to reset the pick challenge here. Team Challengers is 16, 16, and one. There is one push in there. I'm 19 and 14, so I've, I started out hot, but I've been a bit cold of late, trying to get back on track. But hey, finishing out strong for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah, Challenger team's finishing out strong. They've been red hot for about like five weeks, so mm-hmm. we're going to go to the picks now. You are up first with the picks, so where are you going to go with pick number one? I'm going to take the Bills over the Broncos and over like, what, 4.5? Yeah, four and a half points. Four and a half points. Uh, Raiders over Jets. Oh, give me, give me, tell me why about the Bills first. Oh, the Bills? Yeah. Well, first off, they're the only team I can support from, quote-unquote, New York, that they're doing well. Uh, I like how they played last week or this past Sunday, yesterday. Um, And the Broncos are hit or miss, so they could really come back and win this. I I agree with that reasoning, especially because Buffalo needs this game. And we saw what happened with Denver last week. I mean, they blew a 20-0 lead, and they lost in Minnesota. So that might carry over this week. I could see the Broncos giving themselves trouble this week in Buffalo. So I like that one. Where are you going with number two? I think you said the Raiders? Yeah, Raiders uh, over the Jets in three. Minus, minus, Minus. why why Oakland? Well, I got to support the Raiders. Got to go to their stadium. Got to see everything. So... That's really cool. Um, I don't want to talk too bad about Jets in front of you. It's pretty rough stuff. That's kind of harsh, you know? It's okay. I've been, I've been bashing the Jets all along. You can talk bad about them if you want. I think, I think Darnold will have a better game against them, but they're not going to be able to pull through in the long run. Yeah, I could see that as well. And I also, before we move on, I want to touch the fact you went to that stadium. Yeah, yeah. it was really cool. I was over in San Francisco, so we took the trip over uh, over the Bay Bay Bridge. Yeah. You might be the only one I've ever said that that stadium is cool. Everywhere I heard it says it's a dump. Well, it, you, know, you know, I mean, but got to be positive. Got to be positive. Okay, got to be positive. Raiders minus three. I can buy that pick. The Jets are a little up and down. I can see the Jets not showing up for this game. That's also a positive. Yeah, but Let's, I'm thinking Darnold. Better game, better game. Yeah, I, I think he's on the right track. Let's go to your last pick. Where are you going? No, I'm going to do Packers plus three over the 40, 49ers. Our friend Joe D be very happy. Why do you like the Packers? I don't know. They're just in my mind sight this week. I have some good feelings about it, Um, and the 49ers are due for another loss. Yeah, would you not make Uncle John very happy there with that yeah, not, anti-Niner you know. pick? No, you know what? I picked them last time. You know, yeah. you got to be fair. Uh, doing it for this time for my buddy Trav. Yeah. 
All right, so Traz Packers getting the, the shout out there. I can see that as well. I think that's going to be a very close game. It's going to be very fun to watch. So yeah, and plus the they're coming off a of bye week, the yep. Packers. So I really think it's good. They're going to come in gun ho and be strong. All right, those are your picks. I'm going up now. Pick number one. I'm. I have no idea some of these games this week. These are very interesting <laughs> numbers. So. I'm just throwing darts at the wall. I hope they stick. Pick number one. Going back to the Steelers again. You know, they screwed me last week. And they're laying seven in Cincinnati against the Bengals. And the Bengals are garbage. Straight they're, garbage. They're out. They're out of playoff contention already. They're, yeah, they're, they're going for that number one pick in the draft. <laughs> Ryan Finley can't do a thing. Pittsburgh got embarrassed in Cleveland. They had 10 days to get ready for this game. I think they're going to just run the Bengals off the field. Their defense is good. Uh, seven points is a big number, but... I trust the Steelers. I'm, I'm not going to get burned twice with them. So it could be Pittsburgh minus seven <laughs> pick number one. Any thoughts on that one? No, I agree. <laughs> I really think they're going to like, you know, really put numbers on the board on Sunday. All right. That's pick number one. Pick number two. This is one that I'm going to, I like this one because the history. I think the Colts getting three and a half points against the Texans on Thursday night because Indianapolis just owns Houston. I think they're like 10 and four since 2013 against the Texans. That includes this year. They won early this season. I know they don't have T.Y. and that uh, Jacoby Brissett's banged up, but this is also I don't trust the Houston Texans. I do not like that team. I think they're a little overrated. We saw them get smacked by Baltimore last week. <laughs> Give me the Colts getting the three and a half points in, in Houston on Thursday night. I mean, I agree. I mean, it's a little sore subject right now being <laughs> Monday after the Sunday loss with the Jags, uh, but I really think the Colts need to knock Texas down completely. Yeah, yeah they get that sweep over the Texas. That'd be huge for them down the stretch. Yeah. All right, pick number three. This is one I just threw a dart up there because I had a gut feeling about this one. But I'm taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting five points in Atlanta against the Falcons just because I know Atlanta's hot. I know they won two in a row, but I just think they're due for a letdown. And here comes Tampa Bay with Jameis Winston. They can throw the ball. They can score points. The number is five. I think it's going to be a closer game than that. So I'll take the five points. I'll take Tampa Bay for pick number three. I don't know. I wouldn't count the Atlanta Fal Falcons out. They're yeah. they're like that weird team this year. I feel like they're like they won that game, you yeah. know. So I don't know. Yeah, I might have to disagree with that one. Yeah, that's fair. It's a, this is a tough week of football because there's so many good games. It's like yes. it's like in the past I did like last week of Rocky. The numbers are just so out there. I'm like, oh, these are easy choices. There's nothing easy this week. This is a very weird season of football. Yeah. I like I don't know. Maybe it's because it's the hundredth year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred year is a bit wacky. But to reset the picks here, Sam has gone with the Bills laying four and a half in at home against the Denver Broncos. The Packers getting three on Sunday Night Football against the San Francisco 49ers. And the Oakland Raiders laying three in MetLife against my miserable Jets. <laughs> I am going with the Pittsburgh Steelers laying seven in Cincinnati against the Bengals. The Colts getting three and a half points in Houston against the Texans. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting five points in Atlanta against the Falcons. And those are your picks for week number 12. Next week, another one of our good friends is going to be on here. Joe Dalwizio will be back in here doing picks. That's exciting. Hopefully uh, the Packers play well, so we'll have some good news for him. <laughs> yeah, well, Joe actually has his own Packers podcast now. Ooh, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, he does the Sharp Cheddar podcast. I'll give him a shout out here. <laughs> like, he, ho he has two episodes a week. He does a recap. He does a preview. He has guests on every week. He makes his own picks. So Joe's been off doing his own thing. Dang, look at him go. I yeah. like the name, Sharp Cheddar. <laughs> it's a very sharp name for Joe, and I'm happy to have him on next week. It'll be a fun time. And before we get on to the Disney Plus I have to ask you about your favorite Yankee, Brett Gardner. Uh, yes. Yeah, he is a free agent at the end of the year. They have a need to center field because Aaron Hicks is going to miss half the year again. Do you think he's back again for another year in the Bronx? I mean, it's hard to like even imagine that he's not, even in contention at all. Like, yeah. for thoughts, he's literally had the best season he's ever had in his entire career last year. And he's also going to be the new senior leader. CC was more of like the outspoken one comparatively to him, but I really think he wants to step up. I don't know him, but <laughs> yeah. I think he wants to step up and take that leadership role. I mean, we have the whole Guardy Bang thing. Like, you know, it's just like he's coming off like the tail end of a really positive season. So, and listen, I like Aaron Hicks, but I think Brett Gardner is a better center fielder than he is. Yeah, you hit what, 25 home runs last year? Uh, yeah, Something like 20, that? 28. Yeah, 25, 28. So I know he was on my fantasy team all year. He carried me for stretches. Oh, that's good. That's good. I mean, he's just, I think he's like a well, you know, he's a well-rounded player. He's a, you know, I don't know. He's just a great person. Like, and he's yeah. so it's just something to, like for other people to look up to. Yeah, a good leader for that team. Yeah, because they need it. CeCe's gone. I mean, Judge is still too young. He's Now he's the only one left yeah. who yeah. has a World Series ring. It's amazing that he's the only guy left in that 09 team still playing. 
Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. The best is seeing uh, re- like uh, replays and stuff from 09. He still has a little hair. It's great. It's a good laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun time. And since you're our pop culture correspondent, you want to hang around for a little bit? We'll do some Disney Plus? Definitely. All right, we'll be right back. We'll do some Disney Plus right after this. We are back. Instead of the two-minute drills, we are going to just enjoy the show. Talk a little Disney Plus back with Sam DeRosa again. So a double dose of DeRosa on this week's podcast. Oof, rough one for you <laughs> listeners out there. Ah, you've got, I've gotten good feedback on you, so oh, I, wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't say it's rough feedback. That's nice. That's nice. Good for the self-esteem. <laughs> yeah. I Trust me, if I get rough feedback on somebody, they're not coming back. So <laughs> I will remember that. <laughs> you, there's a reason we ask you back all the time. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so obviously... We're getting into the new Disney streaming service, Disney Plus. It came out last Tuesday, November 12th. We've had it for about a week in our possession, and I will say I'm enjoying this a lot. I agree. I wish there was more hours in the day or less work that I have to work so I can enjoy more Disney Plus. Yeah, so obviously this thing has been in the works for a while. When it first came out, what was when they first said, we're going to do this, what was your reaction? I was really excited because, you know, Disney owns everything so i'm like oh they'll have a lot of content on there um you know but also worried how much money i was gonna have to spend per month to get to be part of it yeah and the 6.99 price point is not bad no i also went out and i spent the 70 just so i don't have to look every month at 6.99 getting taken out yeah i actually am getting it through verizon my first year first year you get it for free if you have verizon wireless customers that's a big perk yep yep i did not have that but my mom does because i don't have unlimited data (laughs) Yeah, but she had it, so that's all. That's all good. That's true. Except I bought it like back yep. in like October, like yeah. early, early October, uh, before even like really postseason started for yeah. like, baseball. And I'm like, yep, I'll buy this now, so I don't have to remember to buy it later. <laughs> yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. Just the the catalog. It's so so massive. There's so much stuff. I mean, you could really spend the entire like four or five days at a time just watching whatever you can can on there. Yeah, they have a lot of hours yep. of entertainment. It's crazy, and they have like old stuff, new stuff. It's it's very nice. Yeah, I like how the layout's set up on there. Sort of when you get that home screen, it's nicely broken down in terms of like Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and like Star Wars. You can just sort of differentiate different tabs what you want. It feels like it's much easier to find stuff. Yeah, it is. I mean, I have, um, I don't know if you have you watched a television show on there yet? Uh, I've watched original shows from them. I, haven't, I don't think I've watched an actual like 90s television show okay, yet. Okay, so like I watched Boy Meets World and it won't pick up where you left off. That's my biggest thing with it. Yeah, I have, yeah, that's something I think they got to fix. I did not notice that because I kind of watched, I think the shows I watched straight through. Yeah. And like left it on pause, went and came back. Okay. I've not tried that yet, but that's definitely a problem because I mean, like every other service has that. Like Netflix has it, Hulu like, has yeah, it. Yeah, everything. It's it's and like even Amazon Prime. So like when I go to, you have to add it to your watch list to get it to like one, you know, yeah. one full list. Yeah. But then like if for Boy Meets World, if I started on episode one, see like. Season one, episode one, and then I like watched it, wanted to take a break, came back to it. I like, you know, if I was on five or six, I can't remember. It will remember where you left off, like if you click the actual episode, yeah. but doesn't have like that lovely like loading bar thing on the yeah. bottom, like how much you've watched. Yeah, it won't say like you're five minutes into episode six. Yeah, exactly. I, and I can't change my Mickey Mouse profile. Like, love Mickey, and I know today's his birthday, but I what not, if I want to be Pluto? What if I wanted to be Goofy? I did not know today was Mickey's birthday. Yeah, it is. I'm like 99% sure. I might be put, like putting some fake news out well, on here, but we'll, we'll fact check that later. Definitely. <laughs> okay, so that's going on. I mean, I I've dived into the stuff. The Marvel tab, I've looked at a little bit. I noticed that they have a lot of the early movies on there. Endgame is on there. So we mentioned Endgame before. So what was your big takeaway from Endgame before we get into the rest of the stuff? Ugh, I don't know. I just like I I liked it, but I didn't like it at the same time. It was like it was good. But then I was like, also felt like I was let down a little bit by the movie. I felt like it was very fan servicey. Yes, yeah, it was. It, I mean, it was. I know the mo- purpose of the movie was to like close up, you know, certain storylines and everything. But I was just like, come on. Yeah, it was a little much. And I mean, you did. Do you remember that you did a prediction for that movie in the podcast or Phase Four? Oh man, that's asking me to go back some time. What was my? Do you remember my prediction? We actually have it on the board because it actually came up in this movie. We had for fa- we actually do a phase four prediction. Oh really? <laughs> it came up in the movie. Oh, 
look at me knowing things. Yeah, so here's what you said. This is, came out about a week before the movie came out. This is your take on what could happen. Do you have any fun ideas that you think they're going to do in Phase 4? Ooh, um, I think they're going to have, like, a like an all-women, like, Marvel movie with all, like, just, like, the leading ladies of Marvel. Like, they're going to have, like, a big, like, uh... A big uh, ensemble? film, yeah, big ensemble film ensemble with all Marvel ladies. So like your your Black Widow, Captain Marvel, yeah. like Gamora stuff like that. Bring yeah, all together. Yeah, definitely. I feel like they're all gonna come together and they're just gonna have to like do something huge. And and, and I feel like it's gonna be like the opposite of like you know. So you have like or even they're gonna bring um a like a woman Thor like yeah. they did in the comics. That would be fun. That'd be so much fun. You nailed a lot of stuff there. Yeah, look at me go. I'm very yeah. proud of Pat Sam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pat Sam had that thing. I watched when I watched that movie. I'm like, oh my god, she nailed it. <laughs> yeah, that was a really cool scene that they brought everyone together. It was really, it was just nice and poetic. I mean, I'm yeah. not gonna lie to you. I totally yeah. forgot about my own predictions, but no, I mean, <laughs> I just happened to have that one on the soundboard. It's the reason why I remember it because I remember we talked about it with Pete at one point when we were talking about Avengers. So okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> but that was that was fun. You even nailed the female Thor thing. Oh, yeah, thank you, thank that, you. that is coming soon, yes, it looks like. Yeah, I saw Na- that too. With Natalie Portman being female Thor. That was a, it's very interesting yeah. uh, reason why they're going to have her. But Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. Yeah. And I do, one thing I also want to throw out there about the show is for Dying Civic things is like, do you like the release schedule they have? Where, it's ne- where instead of like Netflix, where can, they drop entire seasons in one shot, where we're now putting stuff out like once a week. Yeah, I mean, like, I know Hulu does that, and Netflix even does that. I know for, like, the Great British Baking Show or yeah. whatever it's called. Um, I don't mind, you know. I, it's fun to binge watch, but, like, I think that they it's, like, art to them. Yeah. You know, especially at the end credits, of, like, with The Mandalorian. Yeah. I don't know if you watch them. They yes. have, like, actual, like, cr- like pictures at the yep. end of, like, drawings. But, like, I, you know, I don't mind. It, it makes me slow down on things. I don't mind the slowing down because I don't. It's like I'm at a point in life where I just don't have the time to sit and watch an entire season or something. So like, if you give me like once a week, I'm like, okay, cool, I can budget like an hour yeah, here yeah. to watch this. <laughs> like, I can't do 13 episodes of like whatever this is in a row yeah. now. And I also hate that binge watching model just because it's so like you have to watch the first three, otherwise you miss out. Yeah. On all the buzz. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Like, like for when Stranger Things came out, you have to watch it or else something's going to get spoiled for you. Yeah, I'm sure you and I were in the same boat where we didn't get to watch it the first weekend. We were just kind of piecing along <laughs> as we went. Exactly. Yeah. And I also, another thing I noticed, I think the shorter runtime some of these shows, I think, was also interesting. Because, like, The Mandalorian specifically, like, the first episode was 40 minutes, the second's only 27. And, yeah, yeah, I thought that yesterday. I was watching it yesterday. I was like, yeah. it felt really short, but I'm sure they, like, filmed it all and they're like, let's just chop it up here. So, yeah. you know. I don't mind that just because I feel like sometimes less is more mm-hmm. with these things because, like, I have I know when I've gone on Netflix, I've seen certain shows where I see the episode, like, run times are, like, an hour and three minutes, 57 minutes. I'm looking at you Marvel Netflix shows, <laughs> especially, specifically, like, Jessica Jones season three and, like, The Punisher. Those were really bad with those, but, like... Yeah. I don't mind if it's like if it's a tight twenty seven minutes and I get a lot out of it. I'm great. I don't need you to filibuster for another thirty just to get to the full network length. Exactly. Like it's a as long as you stick to the storyline. There's no fluff. You know. I think it's gonna be okay. Yeah, I think it is gonna be okay. So, what have you been watching so far? Um, I I love the Disney Channel movies. Like I don't know if you remember like the theme song to it. Yeah. Like from being little, I will not sing it. I don't have a good singing voice. I'm not gonna ask you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, but like uh, Smart House, Brink. Um, like but they had some like I didn't realize how many like serious things they had on it. Like how like the serious undertones and like yeah. the good lessons learned. Classic yeah. Disney. Yeah. Uh, but I've been really on to Boy Meets World. I loved mm-hmm. that show when I was like little. I started watching it when I was probably like three yeah. i know i was like seasons behind but that and you know just watching some old school animations yeah i've been watching i've been watching a little bit of that stuff i'm mostly focusing on this new stuff because i always look at like what original stuff do you have and i know what disney has in terms of like they have the star wars movies they have marvel they have fox now they have like everything but like literally everything <laughs> yeah they're just a massive empire yes they are <laughs> Not the Star Wars Empire, but a massive empire. Yes, they yeah. don't want to be the empire. <laughs> no, they don't want to be that empire. But I've been diving through some of the original stuff. I mean, let's talk a little Mandalorian because that show, I think it's done so, so well for Star Wars show. Yeah, and, you know, like going back like, to, like, you know, the um, original movies in the 70s and the 80s, like they look the same even now. Like their yeah. makeup and stuff, like they did such a good job then, but then they also did a good job blending it to, like, you know, because everything's shot in, like, ultra- HD and whatnot, so 
I don't know. I just really liked how they made everything look similar. Yeah. I like that. I like Pedro Pascal as the, man, as the main character in The Mandalorian. I thought the Carl Weathers appearance in episode one was great. I loved him. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm just here for Baby Yoda. <laughs> Baby, Baby Yoda is going to be a star out of Oh, this. my God. Like, they made it look so cute. Yeah. I'm just like, gosh darn it. Like, that's so cute. And it's funny that Baby Yoda is 50. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's like regular Yoda is what eight hundred or something like that. I I can't even remember. I was trying to think about that actually, yeah. like on my way here. Yeah. I'm like, how old it was? Like, was Yoda? I remember something in the eight hundred range, and then they said Baby Yoda is fifty years old. Like crazy. Somebody did like a comparison, like how old Anakin was to Yoda and stuff. So yeah. I feel like there might be like a little like not good math on their end, yeah. but who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I I do. Th- I'm a fan of where they're going with this. I like the cinematography. I like the whole like. It sort of harkens back to that points in episode four when they have this the scenes like in the in the cantina and like mm-hmm. the, and i remember like obi-wan's like this is the like this is the hive of scum and villainy in the galaxy <laughs> and like this brings back that side of the star wars we don't see too much no that's true especially with the newer movies that are coming out yeah i know you're not a big fan of the newer movies so we'll. yeah <laughs> they're okay I, you know i don't know i feel like i'm a little like i sit on my high horse on it too high you know yep. <laughs> i sit too for too high and too long whatnot yeah a little too high but we'll we'll move on from them have you checked out the shorts from Toy Story? On the I Forky? haven't. Like, I really do love Forky, though. Yeah. Like, I remember when we got introduced to him. Like, I went into, I went to see it uh, actually at the drive-ins. Yeah. And like when he just came out, he's like, "I'm trash." Like, I'm like, "Dad, I'm like, this is guy is great." Yeah. Like, Tony Hale did such a good job with him. Yeah, I remember we discussed this on podcast. Like, we don't know this will work, and then it actually worked very well. Yeah, it was really cute. I hope, I just hopefully they don't do any more. Or like, if they do a Toy Story, it's like with different characters. Yeah, what they like, I watched the shorts. I love that they're, they're, they're probably only three minutes long. So it's like you can actually just like really pop one on while you're like really just doing anything, just mm-hmm. having it on the background. Like it's literally him asking questions about life, whether it's like Forky wants to know like what money is or Forky wants to know what I think like what friendship is. Oh, I mean, that makes me think of because I haven't seen them, yeah. but like uh, in the movie when he's like, it's a merry-go-round yeah. and whatever. And he's like, oh, a carousel. Yeah. Like, I feel like he, like I think that they did such a good job with his like, he's just funny. Yeah. Like, he, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I knew they were not going to let that character go because he was like a breakout star. I think that's a good way to do it. I think this is, do you like that this is sort of how they're sort of continuing the franchise right now through yeah. this? I guess so, but they also made, like, the characters relatable to kids and yeah. also, like, to our age who, yeah. like, grew up with Toy Story. Yeah. And I feel like definitely when they said, like, Forky's like, I'm trash. They really mm-hmm. came. That was really towards people uh, of our age. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we know he's trash. We just want you to know that we know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, I think I recommend those to you. I re- they're very short, so, like, if you're— Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Definitely. I'll do it, like, before I go to bed. I'll watch one tonight. Yeah, they're they're great. I can't wait for those to come out. The other one, which I love, and I know you have not seen this yet, but that's another one I'll recommend to you. The World According to Jeff Goldblum. I'm just, I'm worried what it's going to be. I love Jeff Goldblum. I yeah. just, it's just more like, what the heck is he going to say? Well, here, I, I pulled one of the trailers for you. Okay. We have it on the soundboard here. This is the tra- second trailer for The World According to Jeff Goldblum. Let's see, a theme song, The World According to Jeff Goldblum, it's about things like ice cream, gaming, <laughs> tattoos, ow, bicycles. I'm sort of fascinated by a lot of things. Ah, oh, there we go. That's our show. Drive safely. Yeah, so literally this show is Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum exploring like mundane topics like sneakers, ice cream, <laughs> the history of them, the science behind them. It. I watched the sneaker one. It's fantastic. Did he get a tattoo? I don't know. That one has not come out yet. Ah, the only yeah. ones that are out right now as this recording are, are sneakers and ice cream. Oh, okay, gotcha. I watched sneakers and it was so funny because he goes to a sneaker con and then like he's at, he's like just shocked by how much money shoes cost in some of these things. Oh my god! You know what this kind of reminds me yeah, of? Like, listen. have you ever seen the Netflix show comedian comedians in like cars oh, right, getting, getting coffee or something? Yes, I've seen a couple episodes. That's like I don't know. I just just got that weird like uh, vibe, like a similar vibe. Yeah, it, I, I love Jeff. Jeff Jeff Goldblum and Jeff Goldblum, that's great. Yeah. And he is phenomenal in this show. And he does great things. Like, I mean, there was a point where he was talking to somebody who was like a sneaker expert. And he was like, shocking people make counterfeit sneakers. Like, how do you know this? He's like, 
each sneaker has a certain smell. So they show him smelling inside a sneaker. Oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, they show him playing like pickup basketball and then claiming that like, he's good because of his shoes. He has custom shoes made for him. They're like all black with like a logo on them. It's like very fun. Oh, man. Is this shot in New York? I don't know where he shoots this. Like, he goes around the country. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Like, I highly recommend Jeff Goldblum because if you're a Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum fan, this is just peak him being him. Oh, perfect. <laughs> like how in Thor Ragnarok, he was just basically playing himself. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And that I think he was my favorite part of that movie, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, that and the it's my friend from work. That's yep. like that's laid. That's yep. laid me. Yeah, that one's great. And one other thing, did we need live action Lady in the Tramp? No, I like mm. I was I when I saw it was happening, I was annoyed. When it came out, I was annoyed. I won't watch it. I won't watch. I'm not gonna watch that. I'm not gonna watch Aladdin. Yeah. I don't know. Once they ruined Beauty and the Beast, I was like, they can't ruin anything else. <laughs> I would advise you to go back to Aladdin because Aladdin was actually pretty good in my really? opinion. Really, yeah. I heard like some negative things toward like towards it. I mean, I'll eventually probably end up getting to like I'm gonna be so bored where I'm like, mm-hmm. I guess I'll watch this. Yeah, I like I liked Aladdin. The colors pop. The singing was pretty good. Jafar stunk, but that was a whole other problem. <laughs> but like the kid who played Aladdin was not bad. Okay. The uh, the actress who played Jazz was phenomenal. All right. And Will Smith was not bad as Gene either. I mean, you can't ever be as good as Robin Williams, but no. you can come close. You can you can definitely can come close and any of the other original content like we talked about some of it already. Is there anything that we haven't mentioned that you want to check out? I mean, I'm just looking forward to the future, especially yeah. for all the Marvel movies, shows that are going to come out. That's what I'm just more like focused and nervous about. Yeah, the Marvel shows are interesting because I know that like they're supposed to be part of the official like canon now, where mm-hmm. they're like their own thing. Or they- they're going to be part of the MCU officially. Yeah. It's like, that scares me because I talked to our friend John Stanko about this like, back in the summer. And he's like, at what point is it too much where, you know, like, I'm already committing like seven hours of my life, like three times a year for movies. Like, yeah. You're actually commit like another like 30 hours a year to watch like three shows about characters who are not good enough to have their own movies. Yeah. No, I just want like, I just want them to fix Jessica Jones <laughs> and I want them to fix The Punisher because like that was just such, they were letdowns. You know, those started out hot. But then oh, they, yeah, really good, and I was really excited, and then it kind of just went yeah, downhill. Like, yeah, like Punisher 2 went like really off a cliff about halfway through that season. Jessica Jones like kind of went off the rails in the middle of season two. Yeah. It's just the first episode, like the first season on both those were like absolutely amazing. I was so excited. I'm like, yay, they got renewed. Yeah, it's kind of like the case like where like they think those were just too long, and then they mm-hmm. used all their good ideas in the first season. They were trying yep. to stretch it out. <laughs> it's, it's a kind of Netflix problem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Speaking of Netflix, Disney Plus now coming out hot out of the gate, lots of subscribers out of the gate, lots of people watching it. Do you think it could be bigger than Netflix? Uh, it depends on their original content. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, you can watch the same, it's the same movies, you know, like you, I mean, I have like half the stuff on DVD and on VHS. Yes, I don't have those players, but like, you know, th- those movies are always going to be there. Like they're like, the vault is open, like the vault will be there. But to keep people, you need new ideas, new and like creative shows. Yeah, I agree with that assessment. Just because I feel like Netflix, all it needs is like one more like big Stranger Things type phenomenon. They'll be like getting already coming back. I feel like people are starting to flee them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe they just need a little more. Ex- like I don't know. I like I love period pieces. Like I love The Crown. Yeah. And I'm very. I have not started. I started like five minutes into one episode, and I was tired, and I went to bed. But I like you know I love the their pieces mm-hmm. like that. But yeah. like. You know, they all Disney needs its own stuff. Yeah, because I, I remember we talked. I talked about this. I think off air with uh, our friend Jill, who was who was on this podcast. Think about a Met thing, but that was another topic. But <laughs> so we talked about like how Netflix right now really is just Stranger Things, true crime, and like occasionally a good series. Yeah, I mean, like everyone does not count Mindhunter. Mindhunter is so good. I mean, I you know the second season wasn't as great, but like it's a really good show. They have some really yeah. good content on there yeah they do and sam thanks for all the time i really appreciate you hopping on for two segments this week yeah, I just no want, problem. <laughs> before we let you go you want to let people know how to follow on social media and some of the stuff you're up yeah, to. yeah i like always mess this up so bear with me it's at s deros d-e-r-o-s five s-d-e-r-o-s five for those of you who want to follow and if not just google sam derosa <laughs> that's a bold request <laughs> yeah no you might find a few other people there's my uh you know name twin who she's a singer so yeah. just don't click her click me yeah don't click the singer just so you guys know <laughs> thanks sam again I really no appreciate problem it. thanks for having me all right and that will do for this week's show i want to thank my guest tim Britton, for calling in to talk all about the mets off season some of the key storylines facing them on the earlier in this podcast i also want to thank our pop culture correspondent sandra rosa we're doing two segments this week 
hopping on the NFL picks and doing a review of Disney Plus, the new streaming service that is out there. For more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at the area's hottest team, the New York Islanders, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find all of our old episodes there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well in order to help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me at the hashtag less is more. You made it to the end of this week's show. Next week, as I mentioned before, Joe Dalizio will be here to do NFL picks. He will also be here as the main guest next week. We are going to break down what is an absolutely loaded week 12. If you've looked at the schedule for this week, wow, a lot of great games. Joe and I will break it all down. We'll do the picks. Uh, some other good stuff for you in there as well. Still working on some stuff for you guys there. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Broncos fans. Yeah.